Okay. Well, we're continuing in our series in Genesis, looking at these patriarchs, these characters, and um, we we looked at Jacob last week. We're looking at him again this week. Chapter thirty, if you're following in your Bibles, chapter thirty of Genesis, and um, it's all about the way Jacob prospers uh, away in a foreign land. Um, you remember them when Jacob was growing up in the family of Isaac and Rebekah, he gained the reputation of a, a schemer and a, a cheat, um, mainly because he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright and also out of his father's blessing. And um, in order to escape his brother's wrath, Esau was out to kill him. He vowed to kill his brother Jacob. Uh, Jacob's parents sent him off to uh, Rebekah's family in Padam Aran. Sometimes it's called Haran, so um, either place, I think they're both the same. Um, sent him off to find a wife um, because they were concerned that he didn't find a wife amongst the Canaanite women uh, who were idol worshippers. And, um, and yet we see that God's purpose in it all as I mentioned last time, was to change a wrestler into a rester. Someone who didn't scheme and cheat, but actually rested in the promises of God. And that was God's purpose in it all. And um, the lessons that Jacob learned were very hard, because we find that Laban is a bigger cheat than Jacob. And Jacob suffered greatly under his hand. Laban made him work for 14 years for the two wives, his two daughters, the two wives given to Jacob, and uh, another six looking after Laban's livestock. That's 20 years, and all through this time, Laban kept changing the terms of keeping Jacob working for him. Uh, he kept moving the goalpost, as we say, don't we? kept moving the goalposts. In fact, he changed what he promised Jacob ten times. In spite of having such a bad time of it, Jacob was learning that God was on his side and would fulfill his promise to bless him. While he was with Laban, he gained two wives, firstly Leah, or Leah, however you like to pronounce it, by trickery. Um, we can just imagine how Jacob felt waking up after his... Uh, wedding and um, finding it's the wrong lady next to him okay? and he was very upset about that but later he did marry Rachel also he gained 13 children um, 12 sons and one daughter and um, what we find is whilst Jacob was the father of all these children there were actually four different mothers uh, for these children both of his wives went through periods where they couldn't have children and um, they were so desperate um, that they gave their maidservants to Jacob to have children by them and for, for, their, for them. Um, later, um, the latter part of Genesis 29 and the early part of Genesis 30 um, is taken up with the emotions and jealousies of Leah uh, and Rachel uh, as they are desperate to have children and find favour with Jacob. Uh, we find that with not having children, the women thought it as a reproach 
um, as, as, as something of a reproach on them um, because they weren't able to provide children for Jacob. But in spite of their motives and desperate measures, they in the end gave credit to God for the safe arrival of their children. Um, just before we go on, um, if we, Helen, put a slide up. Oh, you can just about see it. Okay, that's good. Um, can you all see that? Okay. Um, it's just to give you a little idea of these family relationships and how these wives and maids and various other people um, uh, worked out in the scheme of things. And um, you see you've got Jacob up here with his the first wife and second wife and then uh, Leah's children down here, um, three at first, and then she gives her, her servant Zilpah uh, to Jacob and she, and she has Gad and Asher. Um, but what we find is that Rachel has to wait a very long time, all the way down here. This is the sort of timeline from top to bottom before she has Joseph and even longer before she has Benjamin. So it's, it's quite a complicated uh, family arrangement. We pick up the story then at um, chapter 30 and verse 25. And uh, all but one of Jacob's children have been born. Benjamin does not appear until chapter 35. And sadly, Rachel dies in childbirth. So we'll read from verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall give me nothing, not give me anything, for you will do this for me. I will again pass to your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come and look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. 
he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black of the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breathing, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had huge flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. Lord, help us to understand what looks quite a complicated passage of scripture here. That hard for us to understand the times and the seasons that this was set. Please help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Whatever the rights and wrongs of some of Jacob's methods uh, in this passage, he shows, shows himself to be a sh shrewd negotiator, a smooth operator, all right, as the song went. Uh, he he uh, wants to take his wives and children back to Canaan, and he knows that Laban doesn't want to let him go and will use all deceitful means to keep him working for him. Who wouldn't? Laban has prospered greatly uh, under Jacob's uh, animal husbandry. Why lose a super shepherd when you don't have to? Jacob will have wanted to arrive home with some livestock, um, not just to take his wives and children, but to show that he'd gained wealth while he was away in this foreign land. Um, but up to this point, he doesn't have any. Somehow, he needs to persuade Laban to let him have some. He doesn't raise the subject at first, but seeks to play on Laban's sense of family and justice for all Jacob's service. Laban starts to negotiate, acknowledging that it is God who has blessed him through Jacob. And so he, so he says, name your wages. Maybe thinking of money, but rather than naming wages, Jacob continues to build his case and edges towards asking for livestock. Okay, says Laban, what do you want? Nothing, says Jacob. I'll just have your marked sheep and goats as my wages, and I'm very honest too. You can check me out. Now, I don't know whether these marked sheep and goats uh, were of less value than the clean ones. I've no idea, but um, it's, it seemed a good, a good deal as far as uh, Laban was concerned. He agrees, but he immediately reverts to trickery. He removes all the marked animals that would have gone to Jacob and puts them in charge of his sons three days' journey away. And it says that Jacob pastored the rest of the, sh the flock. Now the trickery must have been obvious to Jacob, um, but he doesn't rant about it, he doesn't challenge Laban. In fact, he makes no comment. Jacob must have been expecting an early departure for home with plenty of livestock. Therefore, at this point, he must have been very disappointed. We would have said he must have felt gutted about it. Uh, all that he'd expected hasn't come to pass. 
but he has a recovery plan and um, it just reminds me of Baldrick in Blackadder I have a cunning plan <laughs> we all know that don't we Tony Robinson yeah I have a cunning plan but it's not going to be quick yeah. he's going to have to wait longer and all the while he will be looking after Laban's livestock so has Jacob learnt to trust God uh, that he will bless him in due time has he learned patience? Maybe, but he has some jiggery-pokery up his sleeve. Okay. Um, involving some sticks stripped of their bark, which he hopes will speed things up. But it's still going to take quite a time, he, and he has to believe it will work. Otherwise, it's time wasted uh, for the animals to gestate and give birth. And as I understand it, for, for um, sheep and goats, it's about... 21 weeks before the young appear. Jacob's first method of producing marked animals to replace the ones that Laban had removed looks like superstition, an old wives' tale, as we might say. Um, how would we view? How do we view this? The way that Jacob has, has gone about it, you know. Surely he's becoming a man of God, isn't he? But we have to realise that at this stage in God's story there is limited revelation. Um, God was yet to give his people laws covering pagan superstitious practices which were forbidden. Uh, so it's not surprising that the people's lives were bound up in superstitions. There's no science here as far as I can tell with these sticks stripped, stripped of their bark. Okay? Uh, I, can't, I haven't really found that there's any science at all. The only thing that seemed a legitimate observation was that the animals instinctively mated in front of the troughs, the water troughs. After all, it probably was thirsty work. <laughs> Even though this was a superstitious practice, we can't call it anything else, um, Jacob expected God to bless his efforts. You notice he doesn't call on foreign gods, he doesn't call on evil spirits. He just has a method, a practice, possibly learned from other shepherds, and he expects it to work. Why? Because God is with him. God has promised to bless and prosper him, and he does. Whatever we think of the ethics of this strange practice. The, the lives of the patriarchs and their growing understanding of God demonstrates the grace of God in dealing with his people. They didn't have to get everything right before he blessed them. He blessed them because they were his. They were his own. He had chosen them, his sovereign choice. And the same is true of us. When we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, God makes us his own forever. Forever. And treats us as sons and daughters and showers his grace upon us even when we get it terribly wrong. God knows that we're growing and maturing and there is always forgiveness and future blessing. Uh, we're not only to believe that this is true for us in our walk with the Lord, but also um, it's true for others who profess faith in Jesus Christ, who in our eyes have got some things wrong. For example, um, there are Christians, churches and church movements that preach what is called the prosperity gospel 
Put simply, if you are faithful in your giving to God, God will bless you materially. The more you give, the more you get. Now, most certainly we believe that God blesses our giving, but not necessarily materially. It's not in necessarily in material terms. As witnessed by the countless faithful yet poor Christians around the world, and also it doesn't seem to accord with our understanding that the call of Jesus in our lives may be for us to forsake material things, possessions, money and so on. That may be the call of Jesus uh, on our lives and to make a material sacrifice. Nevertheless, even though, nevertheless, even though we deal, um, we, we may disagree with the prosperity churches on this issue, we should not dismiss them out of hand and rubbish them as some people have done, but acknowledge that in spite of what we think is wrong with their teaching, God is blessing them and causing them to grow in numbers greatly. And that's a fact. Okay. In other words, we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have two other incidents here of dubious practices in this story. The first is earlier in chapter 30, verses 14 to 18. I'll read that. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. What a deal, eh? Eh? <laughs> few old weeds. <laughs> God damn me. Yeah. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said to him, You must come into me, for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. <laughs> it's comical, isn't it? Eh? So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Yeah. Well, apparently mandrake um, literally means love plant in, in Hebrew. And um, it was viewed in those days as an aid to fertility. That's why Rachel wanted to get hold of it. She was convinced that she would finally conceive, because she hadn't done so at this point, if only she could get some. She couldn't have been more wrong. As, as a result of Rachel's bargain, it was Leah who had three more children for Jacob and Rachel had to wait another four years uh, before she has a child. Pagan superstitions had made her problems worse, but now she acknowledges God as the giver of life, as we read uh, at, uh, on verse 23. Sorry, so verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Of course, later on he does. And that's uh, Benjamin. So her superstitious practice didn't help very much. In fact, it made things worse. The second example... Uh, is where Laban, Rachel's father, uses divination 
in order to prosper. I'm sure that he, what we, we're not told what this practice was, but uh, a practice of divination. And I guess it was to try and get a one over on Jacob, but it backfires because the Lord intervenes and forces Laban to confess to Jacob that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So in spite of Laban's trickery to keep Jacob working for him, and in spite of what we may see as a bit of jiggery-pokery, um, which incidentally the Bible does not commend, um, Jacob prospers and gains for himself large flocks and it says also, male servants, female servants, camels and donkeys. Without doubt, he is a shrewd operator who successfully outwitted crafty Laban. And um, he might well have felt proud of himself and boasted to his wives how clever he was. But he doesn't, actually, uh, because he's learning that God is the source of his blessing and is even behind the strange genetics uh, here's what he says to his wives in chapter 31 and, and verses uh, 4 to 9. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favour as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So, even with his jiggery-pokery, he acknowledges that behind it all there is God. And it is God has caused him to prosper. As I've said, nowhere um, in the Bible does it, it commend these superstitious practices, but uh, these are early days of the forming of the people of God, and God is gracious, and he sovereignly works through his people, through the practices that would later be forgiven, uh, forbidden, sorry, when God gives his laws to Moses on Mount Sinai some 500 years later. And for us, God takes us as we are, so solely on the grounds that we trust the righteousness of his Son and become his children. From then on, he fathers us and disciplines us and fashions us into the likeness of his Son. It may take years for God to get the world and its ways out of us, um, but his grace is with us all the way. When I look back to my early days um, as a Christian, I realise I got a lot of things wrong. For instance, um, I did not believe in a personal devil. I thought the devil was just a personification of the, the evil in the world. Um, later I learnt better, but that was my conviction in, in the, uh, those early days. But in spite of my errors, God has blessed me and brought me to this place uh, in my life where I'm trusting and still confident that God's grace will be, see me through to the end. So what are we learning from this passage? What can we learn? Well, God is faithful to his promises, and that's true as we look at all these patriarchs and these stories. They're, they're people that are flawed, just like us, 
Um, but God is faithful because God has owned them. God has chosen them and owned them and will not forsake them and will fulfill his promises uh, through them. Promises first made to Abraham and then to Isaac and now to Jacob. And um, even in a culture of superstitious practices, God, God is able to bless um, those that are his and cause them to acknowledge that he is the ultimate source of their blessing, not the dubious practices. Um, this raises a question for us, maybe. Are there dubious practices that are a challenge to us? What do you think? Are you challenged by what may be classed as dubious practices? Let me um, just get, take an example. Um, So-called alternative medicine. Right? There are remedies, some of which are available now on the NHS, that some Christians would say should be avoided. You don't touch them at, at any cost. Not because they're harmful in themselves, but because they have occult roots. They come out of, say, Eastern religion, where they're associated with pagan worship. These might include things like acupuncture, reflexology, aromatherapy, etc. But for all practical purpose, the occult connection has long been discarded and forgotten and we are left with the physical practices that for some would they would claim bring relief from pain, pain and discomfort. Now the thing is if your conscience is troubled by these practices because of the connection where they where their roots are then you should definitely avoid them. But there are Christians who are happy to have these as treatment and will claim relief and even thank God for his healing through them they would believe that ultimately all healing comes from God. So where can we get some guidance on, on these issues? How we make decisions about what we may be classed as dubious practices? Um, I believe there's a similar issue that we find in the New Testament that Paul raises. Um, in those days, um, in some of those pagan cities like Corinth, some of the meat sold in the markets had previously been offered to idols. And, um, uh, and so we, the, the question Paul raises, should believers eat this meat that's previously been offered to idols? His advice is, if this troubles your conscience because of its former use, then don't eat it. If it doesn't trouble your conscience, then you're free to eat it. An idol is nothing. But make sure that your liberty, your freedom to eat it, doesn't call another brother or sister to stumble. In other words, someone um, who would immediately um, associate uh, the, the meat with the way it was offered to idols in the past. They can't disassociate that where you might. So he says, don't let your liberty cause another to stumble. I think that, that teaching there is, is helpful when we're trying to evaluate um, things that we might consider, consider dubious practices. If you want to follow that up, it's in 1 Corinthians and the beginning of chapter 8. So what's the point I'm trying to make here, particularly in relation to Jacob's actions? God desires that we grow in knowledge, both in the physical world and in the spiritual world, um, especially in our knowledge of him. And he will judge our actions according to the light that we have according to our understanding. We may act or react in certain ways which later as our understanding grows may seem to have been inappropriate. 
the th important thing is that from our hearts we do all we do all whether in word or deed to the glory of God and acknowledge that the blessings we receive are a measure of the grace of God upon our lives let's just dwell on this fact that God takes us as we are imperfect and he gives us the righteousness of his son he declares us to be his children he loves us and disciplines us and corrects us and and continues to offer us his amazing grace why because we are his we belong to him and um, if today you're here and you say I'm not sure whether I belong to God you might even say I'm not sure whether I'm good enough well we're not good enough because Jesus was good enough it's his righteousness that God imputes to us not our own righteousness so just know that there is a good and gracious God who longs to embrace you as his children and if you've not um, if you've not received Jesus as your saviour then don't delay do it today let's end with just a word from James he says every good gift every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights whom there is no variation or shadow due to change let's pray father we thank you lord for your word for lord it's it's not just a book of rules handed down it's real people that you were dealing with and we have the record faithfully recorded for us that we may learn your ways that you may teach us your ways through your dealings with the people of old father will you help us lord to trust you lord even when we know that we fail lord even uh, when we are so disappointed with our own lives lord may we know that as we belong to you uh, then you love us with an everlasting love and your grace is upon us and will continue to be on us until you take us home so lord we thank you for your goodness and your grace in jesus name amen um,